Hi, this is Pam Johnson, and I'm back to talk about cardiopulmonary pearls and pitfalls, picking up where we left off. Let's move on to pulmonary embolism. And one of the things that I want to review here is not just the appearance of a pulmonary embolism on CT, but the appearance of a pulmonary infarct. So as we see in this case, 53-year-old patient who, in the post-operative setting who developed severe dyspnea on exertion, we can see there's a pulmonary embolism in the left pulmonary artery, but what we also see is an infarct in the left upper lobe. This is a, a nice example. It's, it's plural-based. It's heterogeneous with ground glass and solid components, and it's the classic appearance of an infarct. This is a very important diagnosis, particularly in a patient who has a non-contrast CT or an abdominal CT, either with or without contrast. If you see this appearance as shown in image A, you should have a high level of suspicion for an infarct as opposed to a pneumonia. And, and really the features of an infarct are a pleural-based area of consolidation that is has some very um, significant ground glass components mixed with some solid components, as shown in this case. And the, the plural um, configuration should immediately raise your concern for an infarct. If you see an artery leading to the parenchymal opacity, as shown in this case, that has been shown to be a specific finding in the setting of an infarct that should that helps in distinguishing it from other causes of a focal opacity, such as an ammonia. So here's a nice case where this patient's having some pulmonary symptoms. We see the infarct in the right lower lobe. It was a non-contrast CT, but if you look carefully, you are able to identify acute thrombus on a non-contrast CT. An evaluation of the right femoral vein disclosed a high attenuation filling defect. Remember, thrombus is high density on a non-contrast CT in the right femoral vein, which was confirmed with an ultrasound. So this is not the ideal way to make this diagnosis, but it's important to recognize that you actually can make the diagnosis of DVT and pulmonary embolism on a non-contrast scan if you um, put together the different findings in the appropriate clinical setting. Treatment, of course, in this case requires some type of confirmatory imaging, which was performed with ultrasound of the lower extremity. I'll show you a couple of different infarcts, the varying appearance of CT of uh, infarct on CT. In in this case, we have a patient who had who underwent contrast enhanced CT. There are bilateral pulmonary emboli in image A, and then in image B, we can see a large infarct within a region of atelectatic lung. So we see a lot of patients who have partial lower lobe atelectasis and normal atelectasis enhances homogeneously. When you see a well-demarcated area of decreased enhancement within collapsed lung, as shown in this case in image B, that should raise your concern for the presence of a pulmonary infarct. The other potential cause for decreased enhancement within an atelectatic lung is pneumonia or even edema. In the setting of edema and, and, and pneumonia, it's usually more central. It doesn't have this well-demarcated geographic configuration that is suggestive of ischemia or infarct in a vascular distribution. Um, one caveat is that if you are imaging a patient with an abdominal CT and you happen to see the, in the lung bases atelectatic lung with a really well demarcated area of decreased enhancement, then you have to suggest that there may be a pulmonary embolism and the patient may need additional imaging with a chest CT.
In a patient with pulmonary embolism, very important to um, evaluate for the the most concerning complication, which is right heart strain. And this is shown on CT by flattening of the intraventricular septum and clockwise rotation of the heart, as well as reflux of contrast into the inferior vena cava. I will say that I do see reflux of contrast into the inferior vena cava in a lot of patients who don't necessarily have right heart dysfunction. I think it's a just a um, sequela of the rate of injection of contrast. But in a patient who has a, a large clot burden and other indicators of right heart strain, this is one of the additional findings. So um, an, a number of studies have looked at whether clot burden is a predictor of patient's outcome. And what, the, what these investigations have shown is that really the biggest predictor of the patient's outcome is whether they have right heart strain, regardless of the clot burden in the setting of a pulmonary embolism. And the indicators of this are dilatation of the right ventricle relative to the left ventricle and the other findings of flattening of the intraventricular septum and actual rotation of the heart. This is a nice example of a patient. We, we have the patient's imaging on the left, images A and B, prior to um, acute pulmonary embolism. They actually had some smaller chronic emboli in images A and B, but you can see that the main pulmonary arteries are patent. The heart configuration is normal. The patient presented one year later with a saddle embolism in image C, and now we see the flattening and even bowing of the interventricular septum into the left ventricle. You can you can readily identify that the right ventricle cavity is now larger than the left ventricle, and this is the patient with right heart strain in the setting of large pulmonary emboli. One of the potential pitfalls, we have a number of pitfalls that can mimic pulmonary embolism, and these include streak artifact, as shown in this case, particularly from the dense contrast in the superior vena cava causing beam hardening artifact, What's helpful is evaluation of the multiplanar reconstructions in these cases, and you can see that the low density within the upper lobe segmental pulmonary artery is actually in a linear configuration, and it's, it's beam-hardening artifact from that dense contrast. One of the ways to avoid this pitfall is the use of a saline flush, which results in clearing of that dense contrast from the SVC. So ideally... As I said before, we make the diagnosis of a pulmonary embolism on, an, on a well-timed contrast-enhanced CT. But very rarely, you may actually be able to identify a pulmonary embolism on a non-contrast CT. Now, this is um, not something that we want to try to do routinely because there is a lot of noise in the pulmonary arteries on a non-contrast CT, and you certainly don't want to be misdiagnosing noise as pulmonary embolism. But the main pulmonary arteries, if there's a large thrombus, it's actually something you don't want to miss on a non-contrast CT. So here's a nice example. In the left lower lobe, there's a high-density filling defect that you can see on the non-contrast CT in images A and B. And on the contrast-enhanced study, we see that the high attenuation area on the non-contrast correlates with the filling defect seen in the left lower lobe pulmonary artery on the IV contrast enhanced component of this study. These were two studies performed on two different days um, in close proximity. 
Here's an example of something that you probably will not see very frequently, but if you do, it's, it's a diagnosis that you don't want to miss, and that is the patient who has a pulmonary embolism that is actually secondary to a tumor. So in this case, we see a large thrombus within the right main pulmonary artery extending into the right lower lobe pulmonary artery, but this is a does not have the typical appearance of a bland thrombus. It's heterogeneous. There are areas of enhancement. There are actually some areas of necrosis within it, the really low-density area within the clot. And this is a patient who has a large renal cell carcinoma, shown in image C, that had invaded the inferior vena cava and then um, resulted in embolism more distally in the pulmonary arteries. An alternative consideration if the patient didn't have a renal cell carcinoma would be a pulmonary artery sarcoma, which is even more exceedingly rare and doesn't always have this appearance. The pulmonary artery sarcomas actually can be very homogeneous and look like thrombus, and that is that can be somewhat of a challenging diagnosis that is made only after the patient does not respond to heparinization. Uh, many of us have encountered this situation, the incidental asymptomatic pulmonary embolism which is an ongoing area of, of research and management decision-making because um, in the asymptomatic patient, we have to decide whether the risk of anticoagulation is warranted for a small peripheral embolism. But um, it is important in all of our oncology patients that we these patients are treated. Um, the oncologists feel that it actually, the long-term outcome is improved if you treat the pulmonary emboli. So very important in all, especially in the oncology patients, to evaluate the pulmonary arteries with thin sections uh, routinely, even when pulmonary embolism is not suspected. Now, we often see patients in the ER who are imaged with a cardiac protocol for suspected um, acute coronary syndrome or imaged with a pulmonary artery protocol for suspected pulmonary embolism when it turns out that the diagnosis is actually the alternative. So very important to look at the entire cardiopulmonary anatomy in a patient with chest pain, regardless of whether they are, they are uh, their number one differential diagnosis is cardiac or pulmonary. So this is actually a study that was done for pulmonary embolism. And you can see that there's ischemia of the interventricular septum and subendocardial ischemia of the of the apex and lateral wall of the left ventricle. Um, and that was what was causing the patient's symptoms was not actually a pulmonary embolism, but a coronary artery ischemia. Here is the alternative, the patient who was imaged with a gated cardiac CT for suspected acute coronary syndrome and had an acute pulmonary embolism. So that in images A and B, you can see the small subsegmental embolism. Now, in these cases, our protocol includes a full field of view, narrow reconstruction sections so that we can look at the pulmonary arteries because occasionally the patient's symptoms will be due to a pulmonary embolism, but it's a diagnosis that you will miss if you're only looking at three millimeter or five millimeter sections in the field, full field of view. So I think it's very important, um, you know, the, the overview of the overread of these studies is performed by the non cardiac imager. It's a very quick interpretation, but it, it's really um, optimized by review of thin section full field of view images as well as the multiplanar reconstructions. Potential pitfall in the patient who's undergone CT for suspected coronary artery disease is that the saline flush 
can mimic a pulmonary embolism, as shown in image C. And this is typically seen bilaterally, so that helps you in making the determination that this is actually flow artifact due to the saline flush in the pulmonary arteries as opposed to pulmonary embolism. Here's an example of a diagnosis that is often missed, um, even when it's very large, and that's an aortic root pseudoaneurysm in a patient who's had either an aortic valve replacement or an aortic root repair. The reason being that in the axial plane, these are often mistaken for a portion of the cardiac chamber, either the right atrial, right atrium or the left atrial appendage, depending on the, the location. So it's very important in these patients to carefully inspect the aortic root in all imaging orientations. And as you can see, in the axial plane, this was sitting below the ventricular outflow tract. So your, your eye may mistake it for just the inferior portion of the wall there. But when you look in different, um, with different reformations, at C is an oblique axial and D is an oblique coronal. You can see this is clearly a pseudoaneurysm with a small neck arising just below the left uh, ventri ventricular outflow tract. So carefully evaluate these patients in, in axial, coronal, and sagittal orientations. Um, on the same note, in a patient who's had an aortic root repair, the pledgets and the surgical material sutures can mimic a pseudoaneurysm on an arterial acquisition because the density is the same as the opacified lumen of the aorta. This is where a pre-contrast acquisition is critical in making the distinction. So for the first post-operative examination, we will often do a non-contrast study in addition to the arterial phase to be able to make this distinction. And just a review of our, our imaging technique for the patient who's undergone an aortic root repair. Pre-contrast to distinguish a pseudoaneurysm from calcification and pledges. Arterial phase is performed routinely. And then if there's any question of whether there's a leak, you can add a venous phase, which will show a change in extraluminal hemorrhage from, from the arterial to the venous phase and confirm this diagnosis. This is a potential pitfall of a non-gated study, and that is cardiac pulsation artifact along the anterior aortic root that mimics an anomalous right coronary artery. So it looks as if this is a right coronary artery arising from the left coronary cusp, which we know is a potentially life-threatening variant. But um, on the CT, on the non-gated CT, but on the MR, the coronary artery is clearly arising from the right cusp. And so um, it's, it's important to be wary of making this diagnosis on a non-gated study. In this patient, this is a patient who's undergone an aortic root repair and an aortic arch repair with an elephant trunk prosthesis. On the axial images, particularly image A, the appearance mimics an aortic dissection. But if you've, if you've seen these cases before, you're aware that review of the uh, multiplanar reconstructions reveals that this is the elephant trunk prosthesis, which is a free-floating graft that extends from the distal arch into the proximal descending thoracic aorta. Many of these graphs now have high attenuation um, markers along the inferior margin, as you can see in image C, that help you understand that that's exactly what you're seeing, just the graft, and also are used during um, fluoroscopic evaluation if an endovascular graft is placed in the second part of this patient's thoracic aortic repair. So those little markers serve as um, 
localizers for placement of an endovascular graft that will become contiguous with the elephant trunk prosthesis and serve as the patient's descending thoracic aortic repair. Lastly, I'm just going to touch on the importance of gating a CT if a patient has a suspected aortic dissection or any other type of ascending aortic pathology. As we see in this case, image A was non-gated. This was a young patient with severe chest pain. And regardless of how you viewed this, whether it was axial or sagittal, it looked a lot like an intramural hematoma of the ascending aorta. An intramural hematoma of the ascending aorta is a surgical emergency. So this case had to be repeated with gating. And as you can see in image C, the um, ascending aorta is actually completely normal. So very important in a patient who has severe chest pain and a high suspicion for an aortic dissection to gate the study to get a, a very uh, high-quality evaluation of the aortic root without cardiac pulsation artifact. So that's it. These are. I hope that you've uh, enjoyed this. We've gone over a number of different potential diagnostic pitfalls and some pearls to avoid them in evaluation of the cardiac, aortic, and pulmonary anatomy. Thank you very much.